Hey Thrivers, welcome to the Thrive Student Ministry Podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with God through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on our social medias at thriveuark. This week, our director, Jack Cross, continues to explore Peter's journey of faith and vision. We hope you enjoy the message. So I, I came across this, uh, a particular story a few years back, and it's actually from a book called Finishing Strong uh, Examples here. You have to look this up in history. Uh, quite entertaining story and quite entertaining. Uh, this guy is entertaining uh, within life. But, um, but yeah, another a gr- great resource, probably one of the few books that I've actually, that this was used as an example of the first time I was exposed to it, um, was called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. Um, and so... Yeah, definitely a great read. Um, like I said, probably one of those few books that I've read multiple times. Um, but in the Lewis and Clark uh, expeditions, early 1800s time frame, um, only two people didn't come back from that, um, which that's impressive to think about kind of what happened and how they traveled and, and where, where all they covered ground and all that kind of thing. Um, so one guy got sick and died, and the other person, John Coulter, uh, fell in love with the West. And so in, in the midst of it, what he did was he said, I'm, I'm going to stay. Uh, I'm going to keep doing it. And, and because of that, uh, he was supposedly the first white man to see uh, Yellowstone, uh, to see the geysers there, to, to all that. And so I just, I, as far as mountain men go, uh, this guy wrote the book, and quite impressive. Uh, to hear some of the different things that happen. And, and then there's even some other stories of uh, wrestling a bear and doing, I mean, going down rapids. Uh, anybody been out west, that area? Um, seen some of the rapids, some of those kind of things in Colorado, uh, in Montana, Wyoming, some of that area. Like, they, I mean, there's some for real rapids. And to think that this guy's out there with no help, no real resources, makeshift canoe, traveling down river that you don't know where you're headed. <laughs> That's just like, I just cannot believe, I don't know, this would be wild. Uh, it'd be a wild uh, experience. But that's not really what he's a legend for. Really what he's a legend for is the 156 butt naked mile run to the Bighorn. And so how in the world does that happen, Counts? How does a man run but buck, buck naked. No, naked. <laughs> no shoes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 156 miles uh, to Bighorn. And, and so what the story, the story goes, um, he was actually out there with a friend who had come out to visit him. Uh, they're doing some trapping and doing some other things kind of going on. Uh, and then they run into the Blackfoot Indians. And those Native Americans who were there... Um, kind of pin them in on a riverbank one day. Um, I forget, the guy's name, I believe it was John, um, and I say his last name, and I'm, I'm going to mess it up, so I won't. But anyway, so buddy, buddy John uh, says, I'm not getting taken by these guys, 
And so in the midst of a scuffle, uh, the, uh, one, of the, one of the Native Americans wrestles his, uh, his rifle away. And so in that process of kind of the wrestling, he jumps into the canoe, takes off down the, takes off down the river, to which uh, John Coulter's sitting there and says, um, he's like, no, 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 don't. And sure enough, um, just a stream of arrows fly out. He's dead, and he floats on down the river. And so Coulter is there and knows that there's no sense in running. Like they've got me surrounded, not a chance here. So they take him captive, they take him back into the village, the tribe is, is there, and they're debating on how they're going to kill him. And so there's thoughts of filleting him, there's thoughts of burning him alive, uh, they've got all kinds of just different scenarios that they're trying to come up with, and he can, he can tell by who kind of the alpha males and all this kind of stuff, by who's putting forth what suggestions. And one of the chiefs actually comes forward and has this idea. And he asked him, he asked Coulter, he said, how fast can you run? Can you run like a deer? Coulter, pretty swift on his feet, says, no, I run more like a turtle. And so chief smiles. He's got a great idea. His idea is, well, let's just figure out who our champion warrior is. And so we're going to line up all the eligible men um, here on the line and we're going to allow you to take off running, give him about a 300-yard start, and then whoever can catch him, basically hunt him down like a deer. And so that's the plan. And Coulter sees that as, here's my shot. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. And so, kind of bewildered, he realizes that they're serious. That's really what's going to happen. They've all got their weapons of choice, and they're all staring at him. So he takes off. And as he begins to run... Uh, he breaks through the trees, and he sees it's, it's an open field. And about what ends up being about five miles away, uh, he can see the glistening of the river bend, and he knows that it was that direction. And so he kind of fixates his, his gaze on the trees out, way out in front of him and runs as fast as he can. And so not too long after that, of course, Blackfoot, they're after him. Um, after about three miles in, he knows that he can't hear their chants and, and war cries and that kind of stuff anymore uh, quite as much, but he knows that he's got one guy at least really close to him. So he's still running. He's running full speed. He gets about the four to five mile mark, and this guy is within a within 100 yards of him, and he knows, like, he's got moccasins on. This guy knows exactly where I'm at. I can't, I can't break off and get away from him. And so he allows this guy to get within 50 yards of him, and then he dead stops and turns around and faces him, to which he knows that this, you know, chances are he's within range of whatever um, weapons he has. And the guy does have a spear and he's running and chunks it at him. But in the process of running, he trips. And so the Native American trips and the spear falls just short of Coulter. Coulter at that point runs up, grabs it. The guy's right on top of him and is able to stab him. Um, and able to put him down. So he evaded the, the first attack. About this time period, he's about six miles in and really close to the river. So he ends up finding a place where he can get down into the river. Uh, there happens to be some, some wood washed up in that area, and so he gets up underneath. He's able to hide a little bit, uh, figure out a way to get down the river. Um, basically spends all night kind of in and out of the river finds a place that he can escape out of there. 
And then he thinks that he's, he's more or less free from them. But he's about 150 miles from Bighorn. Seven days later, he shows up naked, exhausted, feet ripped to shreds, bloody, but he survived. And so he has this like legendary status. Pretty phenomenal story. And just the idea that Coulter on that afternoon, life was enjoyed. He was enjoying it. He and his friend, they're trapping, they're doing their thing. Of course, anytime you're in the wilderness, you know, there's a certain level of danger. But then all of a sudden, chaos breaks loose. And it ends up with a naked 156-mile run. <laughs> and we can laugh about that. It's a little bit humorous, but sometimes life feels that way. <laughs> Hopefully not the naked run. <laughs> um, maybe. We're on a college campus. But, <laughs> but, um, but sometimes, it, for sure, the Christi Christianity um, feels where it's just like, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to keep making it. And there's no doubt, like, Coulter had multiple moments throughout that trip where there's not really a lot of choice. When you have an entire tribe, tribe worth of people who are going to chase you down and kill you, it doesn't really matter how bad your feet hurt. You just got to go. And you got to give it what you got. And hope you survive the chaos, right? And, of course, hope you're blessed during a moment and have some different times where you can find... Find passage. Well, in the same way where we're going with our story and chaos ensues, Peter and the rest of the disciples were in the process of, man, some really awesome things happening. And then it's all going to turn. And it's going to make just chaos ensue. And they're going to figure out, well, how... It's going to change their life is what it's going to do. And so let's dive into the scripture. There's, so that we're, what we're looking at tonight is actually found in all four Gospels. That's an interesting piece where you see that. And I don't know how much you know about the way that the Gospels are written. You know, sometimes you can see things where it's like, ah, there's discrepancies here. But it's almost as if um, these different guys inspired by the Holy Spirit were writing what they were remembering back when they were younger. We believe divinely inspired also. But they're writing looking back, and it's as if, you know, four of us got together and decided to write. All of us would have a little bit different perspective on what happened. So to me, it's extremely cool and interesting where things line up and where things made, somebody adds a little bit more detail than another. But where we're going to be is in Mark 14. And so in Mark 14, um, we'll just jump in in verse 27, and... and like last week, man, there's a lot here. <laughs> there really is. But we're going to narrow in and focus on kind of Peter's perspective, right, in, in this piece. And so in Mark 14, verse 27, it says, On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In verse 28, But after I, after I am raised from the dead... I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet, meet you there. And then Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. 
this very night. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So catch you up real quick, right? On where we're at. Jesus is trying to tell these guys, because Jesus knows what's about to go down. He knows what's happening. For them, they're hearing it, but they're not wanting to hear it. But everything is definitely ramping up very, very quickly. We've got three years worth of ministry. We've got um, kind of a lifetime worth of teaching stuff going back and forth with Jesus and, and different miraculous signs that have happened along the way. And he's empowered them to do miracles. And so that's just awesome. And, and that's one of the things I think within Scripture that I want you to understand is that sometimes we look back and say, well, this is normal because it's the disciples. And some of you who've grown up in church and maybe you've heard the Bible stories before, we can get numb to it. But I want you to understand like just how crazy all of this is. And the other piece that I don't think that I've ever noticed until about, you know, about five years ago, leading up into Easter one year, is I hadn't quite thought about just how chaotic it got that fast. Because Jesus is doing some really cool stuff. We're seeing miracles happen and the, the feeding of the 5,000 and yada, 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 all this kind of things happening. We roll into Jerusalem on Passover, okay? And here he is. He comes into town. Anybody remember how he comes into town? On a colt. People laying palm branches down. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Like, I mean... And if you're, if you're Peter and any of the other disciples, you're walking in with him kind of thinking, this is pretty cool. Like, and, and I would imagine Peter's one of the close guys. So, so he's either at the front of the line or he, I mean, he's close probably. And, and I mean, you've got people who are praising him. And the other thing is too, to even I mean, just, we could go so many different ways with this, but, but I need you to understand like you'd be in a town of about, the population of the town grows about 10 times during Passover. Think about that. I don't know where you grew up. Jerusalem's a decent-sized town. But imagine just the population in a couple of weekends from now should have been uh, Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. Um, and if you've never been there in Fayetteville and all of a sudden all the bikes show up with, you know, typically they, they do a great job of planning on a not home football game, but it'd be the same thing as if you had bikes, blues, and barbecue here, and then you had home football game also. Some of you guys, you got to experience traffic and all that kind of stuff with home football game weekend, but, but getting both those things at the same time where, you know, there's kind of a cool, like, hey, man, things are going on in town. Like, you got all kinds of different things you can go do and tailgates and all this kind of stuff, but then also it's a little bit nuts. And for those people who live here, you're like, oh, good Lord, I can't wait till everybody goes back home. Uh, and people driving crazy and don't know where they're going and cutting across lanes and stuff like that. And so that's kind of what happens during the Passover time frame. Anytime you put that many people in an infrastructure that's not used to it, it's a little, it's a little edgy. It's a little crazy. And that's what's happening with Jesus because he's at the focal point of this. 
He's performing some things that really people don't understand and people can't explain. He's performed enough miracles that there are some people who are saying this is awesome. And then there are this group of people who put, paint themselves as being righteous and, and doing the right thing that they can't figure out how to contain him or what to do with him. And so they have resorted to, he's done. we got to kill him. And so within a matter of about five days, you go from Hosanna, Hosanna to... We're going to figure out how to kill this guy. So if you're one of his guys, if you're Peter, and you're traveling alongside of, of that kind of thing, you're right in the middle of all of this. It is crazy. And so that's kind of where we are. But what I want you to know, and one of the truths I want you to grab a hold of, and the guys put it on the screen here, is that in the midst of what seems like chaos, God has a plan. You need to know that. Because the same thing's true in your life. In the midst of what feels like chaos, God still has a plan. And we see that right there in the scripture. For one of them is when Jesus says that, first of all, he's like, hey, look, I'll show up in Galilee. Right? In verse 28. He says, I'll, I'll be raised from the dead and I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. But the other side is, if we see in, in Luke 22, when he explains the story in verse 31 and 32, what Luke documents and, re, and is reminded of is when Jesus says this, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. In other words, all of them. But then Jesus prays this, says this about Peter. He says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon that your faith should not fail. Listen to this. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. That's interesting. And what I need you to think about is, act like you don't know what's about to happen. Because Jesus has been dropping things to these guys. He's been trying to explain to them multiple different times about what's happening and what's going to happen and all this. But they don't, they don't understand it. They don't hear it because they came in with Hosanna, Hosanna. And to them in their minds, when they think you're the Messiah, what, what just the thought has always been that he's going to be king. That really what this means is that you're going to put the Sanhedrin and you're going to put those guys who think that they're right that at the top of the religious sphere, you're, going to, you're already slapping them around with like theology and all that kind of stuff. You're already kind of putting them in their place. But really the Romans are the real ones that are like oppressing us. And so Jesus being Messiah, that's what's going to happen. And what Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't understand it. And I didn't say this this way last week. I should have. But lack of vision will lead to lack of faith. Last week what we talked about as Peter got out of the water, I thought it was interesting. Why would he, when he falls, Jesus say, oh, you have little faith? Because we're talking about wind and wave and all that kind of stuff. You go back and read that story. Peter's not out. I really don't believe that Peter's out in the water and he's like, I don't think Jesus is real. <laughs> it's not, like, 
you're standing on freaking water. Like, like <laughs> that's not what's going through his brain. It's in the middle of a storm, and he's distracted. He's lost focus. Vision. And the same thing here, where Peter's about to lose, or he doesn't understand the vision. And his faith is going to be rocked. Because he doesn't understand what Jesus is really trying to do. Although Jesus has laid it out to him. He's laid it out to him. Peter didn't want to really grab it, understand it. This whole time, Jesus has been trying to teach these guys what it really looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. That it's an upside-down leadership. That it means that if you, want to, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you lose your life for His sake, that's how you're really able to gain true life. If you really want to lead people, you've got to love them enough to serve them. You've got to be willing to be last. Jesus has been trying to teach these guys, but they, they just don't quite get it. And because of that, you know, the series is faith and vision. And really what hurts Peter right here is he, he doesn't really get the vision, and because of that, it's going to hit his faith. And so here's, what, here's where we go with that. In verse 32 through 34, um, right through here, we won't read through there. I want you to go back and read that sometime, but... They're sleeping. Jesus is going to pray. And really what that gets to, and if you want to read that prayer, by the way, John 17 is a great, great place to go look where Jesus prays through that prayer in the garden. But essentially in all four Gospels, that, that kind of is laid out where Jesus goes and he's praying because Jesus understands what's about to happen. But, but Peter, James, and John, they're taking a little bit further than everybody else, but then everybody else is kind of back and everybody's tired. They've had a long day. Many of you, you know, but they're exhausted. And the problem is that they don't get the magnitude of the moment. They don't understand the magnitude of the moment. We have a problem with that sometimes. We don't understand the magnitude of the moment. I will say that's one of the things I love about working with college students. And, and Dom and I get a chance to, to help walk alongside of you. Because for some of you, you are beginning to do things to understand the magnitude of the moment where you're at right now. Because in the grand scheme of things, college, if we, if we chunked up your life in like four-year terms, Lord willing, college is a very small part of your life. But it's a very influential time period in your life. Because you all are trying to figure out what does it look like to live life. Some of you have had seemingly great models in front of you to show you maybe what it's supposed to look like. Some of you, maybe not so good models. And some of you may be somewhere in between that you're looking at and you're like, hey, look, I want to do some of these things and I recognize that some of the things that they did were good and successful and I want to follow. And some of these things I, want to, I definitely want to change and I want to be different. 
But regardless, every one of you has to decide for yourself. And you have to, you have to determine what kind of man you're going to be, what kind of woman you're going to be. And the choices that you make are going to dictate that. You can whine and you can cry about what mama did or what dad did and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, you're going to have to choose. Good, bad, or indifferent. And that's on your shoulders. And so understanding the magnitude of the moment, and I would say, like, like I said, for some of you, man, I was thinking back through some of this, and I, like, I was thinking about girls' community group. I know Kata, um, uh, was it two years ago? Or was it last year? When you had said you had never led community group. We asked, we asked Kata to lead community group. Uh, it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, and she was like, guys, I've never, <laughs> I've never done anything like this. And, and we, we, we thought you could do it. And you've done a great job. And I would even say, so, I mean, even like this past week when, so Kata's, it's been tough on Kata's family. And so I hope you don't mind me sharing, but her grandmother passed away. Um, and I know like kind of week one of getting ready to go community group and that kind of stuff. You got um, Abby and Crystal who stepped up and, and began to lead the community group. And they're getting together. And, 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 what I, and they're getting together and they're talking. They're spending some time in prayer together. And, um, and, and even last semester, been trying to make that discipleship happen. Those are things that can be kind of small. Is it really that big of a deal? The magnitude of the moment. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. Because what I would tell you is this is a small time period in your life. But you're making choices and setting priorities that are absolutely going to spill over into the next five years of your life. And that's absolutely going to change the trajectory of the women, specifically, that you are 10, 15, 20 years from now. And that's not to say that you're not going to make other decisions and that you're going to have opportunities to do something crazy or something like that in the next 10, 15 years. But I'm telling you that the magnitude of the moment for you guys right here in this stage of life is vast. It's, it's, it's great. And Peter is in this moment. He doesn't understand it. And so he's asleep. And so we move on because... Then what begins to happen is that the crew comes and they arrest Jesus. And it's a, a bizarre story. Like I said, it'd be great for you to go back and read that this week. But in Luke twenty two fifty four, we pick up in this part where it says, So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. John talks about maybe even that there's another guy who kind of followed along also. But, but Peter's, Peter's intrigued. Right? Peter's the one who said, I, I will not leave you. They, you I, everybody else might, but I won't. Peter even further proves that. In, in John, John actually marks it down when he's telling the story that Peter's the one who chops a guy's ear off. So he pulls his dagger out. And last week we talked about Peter being a fisherman, that he was, wasn't a novice. I'm going to tell you this. Peter was not a swordsman. I really don't believe that Peter was like ultra proficient with a sword. Peter did not intend on cutting this guy's ear off. Peter was, Peter was, Peter was blessed by God to only have cut this guy's ear off. 
He was not aiming in the dark for the man's ear. He missed his head. To which, you know, so I mean, I'm just saying that because like that's the kind of like, Peter's in this. We're not going down without a fight. And then Peter's going to follow from behind. I got to see what's going to happen here. And so that's where we're at in the story. And, and then the guards lit a fire in verse 55 in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him by the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of the Jesus followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. You ever been there? I don't know if you've been there or not. Things get so crazy. And we're reading right here in the Luke part, and I'd encourage you, Matthew, Mark, John, all talk about this time, this time period. And they've more or less, they've, they've rushed into the garden with like full force, military style, like mob, like he ain't getting away. They bring him in, they drag him in. By the way, in Jewish culture and all that kind of stuff, none of this should have ever happened. This, they're breaking their very own rules. There should not be a court case, slander, session, whatever, happening at this hour of night. And Peter's watching it go down terrified. And somebody says, hey, you're with, you're with them, aren't you? No, uh-uh. I, I don't even know who that is. I'm just, I'm just interested. stuff and so then it goes on another shot here right here in verse 57 or well in verse um, yeah verse 58 it says after a while someone looked at him and said you must be one of them something about his accent and so no no man I, I'm not no, no chance. Not me. Verse 59, about an hour later, someone insisted, you must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And in other Gospels, it actually says that he, he rains down curses. So I don't know what exactly he says, but... I don't know if you've, <laughs> if you've ever been in that moment, but <laughs> like people know that maybe you're a believer or something like that, or they know like, hey, you're a goody two-shoes. You're like, well, F-bomb this, whatever. He's <laughs> like, whatever I can do to prove to you, like, that's not me. I don't know exactly what Peter says, but I, I can imagine that he kind of went overboard to prove to them. I'm not with these people. And then what happens? The rooster crowed. And in verse 61, Luke's the only one that portrays it this way. But this is a punch in the gut. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I don't know what that felt like. 
I can tell you this. That's rough. Because everybody's left him. And they got some type of a sham trial going on. Where Peter stood there long enough. It says like an hour later. So like he's been there long enough for two people to accuse him. An hour passed by and someone else to accuse him. And so you got all these different people who are coming in and, and running this guy down. And, and I, the way that I picture it, actually, I was trying to think about like, man, how, could, how can we depict this? But actually, in the last year or so, you've probably had several things that I've at least seen on the news. But most recently, like the other day, I mean, it's what's going on in Afghanistan where you just kind of got Taliban just taking over and just running wreck shop over the people there. I think about the, the craziness, the chaos, like one particular was them flying one of our helicopters with someone hanging from the bottom. Where it's, what that's for is to, to make a symbol to everybody around that this person worked with the Americans. Here's, here's what we're showing you guys. And so that's the kind of like chaos that we're talking about that's going on here and People spitting on him and slapping him around and that kind of thing. And Peter said, I don't even know him. And somewhere within a distance, Jesus turns and looks at him and they make eye contact. And, like, oh. and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I don't know if you've ever like felt like a failure. But one of the cool parts and one of the reasons why we look at the story of Peter, and really this is not, I mean, we're talking about Peter here, but what I don't want you to miss is that this is really not about Peter. This is about Jesus. But one of the reasons why we narrow in on Peter is that there's parts of Peter's story that every single one of us can resonate with. And this is one of them. Man, he, he royally blew it. He screwed up. And I cannot imagine what it looks like to stand there. I, I, mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine because... I've been there before. I, I mean, multiple times where being a kid, right... I remember one particular time we were at my great uncle's house and we were, we'd been playing and it was, he's an older, he was an older guy. He had a pool table, no kids really running around there kind of thing. And I remember being down in his wood shop one point in time, really some cool stuff, you know, and playing, messing around with his drill press and I broke a drill bit. And I remember trying to hide it and trying to fix it back, right? And I thought I had it figured out, and I just got out of there and left. Didn't do it. Nothing went around that. And I remember maybe the next day it was, I think. There was a little bit of time left. You know, time passed. I'd actually forgotten I'd done it. Um, and my dad and my Uncle Don, great uncle, um, he said, hey, Jack, would you come over here? Like, do, do you know how that got broken? Mm-mm. I don't, I don't know how that happened. And I remember 
I, I didn't really know Uncle Don that well, but I knew that my dad revered him pretty high. He was one of the only cross boys still alive. Um, my grandfather's brother. And I still to this day remember both of them looking at me like <laughs> very disappointed. And now when I look back on it, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even think about it because I'm like, that was so dumb. Like, they knew I did it. Mm -mm, I didn't do it. I, 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 didn't, I don't know how that And I remember I doubled down too. Like I wouldn't give any of that. And I, I, I remember, and now looking back on it too, like probably one of the reasons why it didn't get turned into a bigger deal or whatever was because it, was, it wasn't that expensive. But it was the fact that I just straight up lied. But I remember both of those men looking at me very disappointed. And I remember later on just thinking like, oh, I mean, I, I did it, but then why did I lie about it? And that's a childish example, I know. And we all have probably some other moments in time where you're like, you know what? If my dad or if my mom really knew and then they looked at me. I know I disappoint them. Or maybe you've got a really good friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend, or something like that that you know, like, you really screwed up. Man, that hurts. And all of that pales in comparison to Jesus turning and looking at Peter. And Peter thinking like, dang, just a few hours ago, I said I would die for this guy. Now, I can't even tell a little girl that I know him. But there's something that's cool here. And it's that what I started with. Jesus knew. And he loved Peter anyway. Because if you go back to that Luke 22, that verse 32, where I, we've already talked about it, but it says, So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus wasn't surprised by it. In the midst of chaos, God still has a plan. And, and, and what this meant was that that God, Jesus knew Peter. He even knew what he would do and how he would fail in the future. And he loved Peter anyway. And the same thing's true with you. That there's nothing that you have done that could make Jesus love you less. And I need you to know that. He needs you to know that. That regardless of what you've gotten into or how you feel that you have failed, He loves you. And He loved Peter enough to die for him, but He also loved Peter enough to use him. 
and that Peter's the guy who stands up in Acts 2, which is a part that you need to go back and read for homework as well. And Peter can stand up and say, and he quotes some of what David said back in Psalms, and when he says that, hey, look, when King David spoke it, and as a matter of fact, let's just read it right there in Acts 2. For those of you who got your Bible, I don't even have it up on the screen. But it, he, he says, King David said about him, he said, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. He knows that and he boldly steps up in front of thousands of people and speaks those words. Just about a month and a half later. It's a wild transition. And on that low night, Peter learns a very, very valuable lesson. And the same thing that you and I have got to grab a hold of. That in the midst of chaos, God's got a plan. Sometimes it may mean that we need to pay attention to the vision of what God's trying to actually accomplish so that we don't lose faith. My hope and my prayer is that you understand that Jesus loves you in spite of anything that you could have done up to this point. Even someone like Peter who man, utterly drops the ball.